Good morning, Mr. Derek. Well, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm good. It is weird to talk to you on a Monday. Yeah, I know, right? In my prime prime time for getting stuff done zone. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate you giving that up <laughs> yeah. for this, this dalliance of a podcast. Yeah, yeah. So do you want to tell the folks why we're recording on a Monday? Uh, I, will, I will relay the tragedy. So uh, last Thursday, we were excited to have Paul Jarvis on as our guest. He's doing a lot of cool stuff recently, releasing a new book. He has a podcast miniseries out related to the book. And so we wanted to chat with Paul, um, had him on, had a great hour-long chat in our usual fashion. And right when we ended, we're like, all right, let's wrap that up. Let's save these files. And he got a dreaded operation cannot be completed error message from QuickTime. Mm-hmm. And all was lost. Yes. That's, that is such a cl- classic, you're totally screwed error message. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's just like failure. Could not, couldn't do it. <laughs> it's just like there's no recourse. Not even like the disk is full or... No. Yeah. Yeah. No warning of like, you better do something else or else we're not going to be able to complete this operation. It was just like there was an okay button. He clicked it. Quick time was gone. <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. You're screwed, except click okay to accept your screwedness. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Have it. So, all right. Yeah. So the plan is to have Paul back on in a couple of weeks when we've <laughs> built up some more things to talk about and our heartbreak has healed. Yeah. Um, which is, but yeah, oh, it was such a good conversation too, but I, that, that just means the next one will probably be good as well. I think so. Yeah. It was our first time really like getting to know Paul. So I think the chemistry will be there the next time too. Yeah. He was, he, he did a great job of just dropping in and, and being one of the, the guests or the, one of the guys, I guess it felt like he was like a, a co-host right away. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So how's your uh, your non-tragedy type stuff going? Um, everything else is going pretty well. Yeah. So um, I guess I'll, I'll dive into a, to a level update because let's see, I think there was an interview that you did with Julian maybe that came out around the time that I did this. So it's I'm like two weeks in now to um, having launched the level early access program. Woohoo. Excellent. Yeah. So I had that goal I've been talking about on here for, for a few months now to get people in by the end of October. And I had my first person in about two days before the end of October. So firmly met that goal. Feel really good about that. Yeah. Props to you on that. Yeah. Thank you. I really was like skeptical that I was going to, to make it, but I just kept aggressively cutting scope and moving things out of that column in the Trello board. Like, do I really need this? Do I really need this? And, you know, the perfectionist side of me was battling the whole time of like, no, people are going to judge you for not having a reset password for, but Sure. But, you know, I just kind of aggressively kept kept trimming that stuff out. And um, yeah, so far it's been it's been going pretty well. I invited uh, six teams in and it's sort of like a, a distribution, as you would expect. There's like one or two teams that have really used it pretty thoroughly and have given me a lot of good feedback. And then others who have just kind of popped in and poked around a little bit. And then others who haven't really given it much of a try at all. So I think, you know, big, big takeaway from that is just like people are busy. It's hard to, it's hard to get people, even well-intentioned people who want, who are excited about it and want to try it out. It's a big ask to ask someone to like actually try this out in their real workflow while they're trying to run their own respective businesses. So that's, you know, that's a, wake up call, but to be expected. And I feel like the quality of feedback has been uh, pretty good. I thank you, Ben, for you gave me a nice volume of like, first time run through things that you noticed. And I appreciated that. That's always good stuff to hear. Like, I was slightly confused by this. Or how does this thing work? 
that's really high quality because it's this, it, that's the kind of stuff that I'm really blind to because I've been staring at this product for so long, you know? Yeah, I always try to capture that for people. Like the things that I think the very first time I'm through it. Because that's, I feel like that, that stuff you can't really come back to after a couple of weeks. It's like, and then what did I find confusing about the screen? I don't remember. Right, right. And some of it was like known, like I know that I need to, I need to beef up the onboarding flow. It's very minimal right now. It's like check some boxes to create some default groups in your space. And then you're just kind of like dumped into an empty inbox and there's not really any guidance from there. And that was one of those things, an intentional decision not to spend too much time trying to like nail the onboarding because I don't really know at this point, I don't really know the flow that's going to be important for people, you know, fair. Yep. And I think one of the things I discovered, so I have, I'm, you know, I have a kind of a prioritized list that is coming together uh, based on feedback I'm getting. And one of it is like, people want to be able to set default groups that new users into their space are automatically added into because otherwise people are just like, they see an empty side sidebar on the left and they don't necessarily know to like click into groups and then explore around and then join ones that they want to be a part of so you know something like that i wouldn't have necessarily been able to guess that that was going to be really important so you know that'll probably be a feature in the onboarding flow now that i know that have that data i imagine you had a bunch of like little tweaks that came through too probably yep yep little things like urls were not auto hyperlinked when you pasted them into the box and uh block quotes didn't have styling so like when we tried to chat back and forth like i've been simulating conversations with myself and with you know dummy users and stuff but like those types of things often don't get noticed until you get real life use for sure yeah Yeah. so of those teams that came in do you have any still that are like using it day to day yeah i have i have one team that's really trying to continue using it and i think the biggest takeaway from that one is that and it's a feature I'm working on right now, is I need some way to make sure that people don't forget to check back in to level. Um, because the tool is just so unobtrusive. It's not supposed to bother you. Like, it's not sending you push notifications, really, unless you're, like, live chatting with someone. So I think that the daily digest is going to be, like, a critical piece. And so I'm waiting to invite any more people in to the early access until that feature's done, because I think that's, I think that's really a big it's a big deal. I really need that in. So yeah, totally. I think that'll make a big difference. That was my sense too, when I was using it It was like, if I, if I send something to somebody, I would have to count on them to remember to come back and look exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm trying not to over-engineer this one, but I do want it to be presentable and look nice. So I've done a little HTML email design with tables and all that nastiness <laughs> and figuring out how to do like recurring tasks in Elixir, which is like a new, I haven't done that yet. So there's, there's kind of a mix of uh, learning some new things, but also trying to move quickly. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's good that there's still a team using it regularly though. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm encouraged by that. I have some more eager people that I know have expressed strong interest in trying it out that I can still reach out to. I'm excited to like, get get digests out and maybe a few more small things and then see what it, the uptake is like with with that next cohort totally I, I really like that model for bringing people into a product yeah i feel like the big bang launch is just makes so much less sense at this phase yep yep maybe eventually you'll do that but right now like okay one out of six stayed and they really want this feature i built that feature if i invite six more what does that what happens then yeah yep like keeping the feedback manageable is is good and also just not like using up your asset of eager early people right it just makes a lot of sense to me 
it's inevitably happens. Like you look at it, you get your first impression and you can never redo a first impression. So people are going to look at it and they're going to make some judgment calls about whether like, is this on the right track for me or not? And I think it's probably harder to draw people back in once they've made it past that first look at the product, you know? Yeah, for sure. This is something I've, I've noticed with um, our competitors where I'll, I'll be like, oh, did you ever try X? And they're like, yeah, we tried it, but it was slow. And like, they like that like once. And it's just like X equals slow is now just like true in their head. Right, right. And so it's like, oof, gotta be, you gotta watch out for that. That's a good thing to pick up on early at this point. I think pro- I probably have a similar type of thing where people are going to, people are going to use the first few minutes of their use of the product as a, as a heavy gauge on how this, whether they ca- it captures the vision for them. And I think if we can both optimize for that, especially you, like thinking about like, how can you make it so that it's always almost guaranteed to be super fast the first time they they use tuple especially with like their coworkers that maybe are nearby geographically like maybe there's things you can do to make sure that it's like blazing fast for them <laughs> just yes i'm very much thinking about that actually i think early on we're going to prioritize people that have good bandwidth yeah because eventually tuple will work really well i mean hopefully with the worst connections but in the beginning i want people that i know are going to have like a, a good connection right I, I don't see that as like being misleading at all because Let's be honest, like even your competitors, probably half the time their their performance problems are not their fault. It's the user's fault, right? <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. Yep, yeah, thinking about that and how we're going to mitigate that is, is definitely on my mind a lot. Where like, I want us to have a mode where it's like, between Ben and Derek, Derek's connection is bad. Tell Derek what's going, like tell them both. Like, just so you know, Derek's connection is poor. Or even like at the start of a call, be like, Hey, like you said, you want to stream at really high quality. Like you have a big 5K iMac, uh, and you've chosen to share the whole desktop. But we've tested your connection, and it's not that great. So, like, this is going to be suboptimal. Like, help guide people to success instead of just like letting them shoot themselves in the foot. The most I've seen is like a little yellow indicator on something saying like poor connection. It doesn't usually specify whose fault it is, and it doesn't give a specific guidance about ways to mitigate. So, that seems like a really great feature. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah, so the alpha has been is off to a good start. And I also shipped a thing in the last week, kind of in response to some of the questions I was getting on Twitter, uh, where I was getting the sense that people were still excited about level, but confused about how it actually works. And that I think was kind of becoming a roadblock to people really like capturing the vision, I guess. And that's is a blind spot for me where, you know, I obviously fully understand how the product works. And I've described the problem pretty clearly in the manifesto and on the previous homepage. So I, I was initially like resistant to this thinking like, can't people just use their imagination and creativity and kind of envision how this solution is going to, you know, solve other problems. But I think people were really like begging for something a little bit more concrete. I got a few questions of like, yeah, but how is it actually different than Slack? And it's like, you don't understand that for what everything I've said, but I guess looking back, like I didn't really give a whole lot of concrete, like product mechanics details. So I set out to like, kind of, I was thinking of this would either be like a tour page or a features page or something like that. And then I decided to just make it the new homepage and um, kind of used story form for this. So just like made a mock case study of a company and kind of the flow of like, it's Monday morning and here's, you know, this person, logs into level, checks their inbox, sees these conversations, follows up in this way, and then, you know, just kind of walk through some specific product mechanics, but also focus on like benefits over features and describing like 
at a high level why level is like solving solving this problem so that seemed to resonate pretty well i i shipped it on a saturday just because i finished i wrapped it up and i really wanted to get it live and even on saturday it got like a nice amount of uptake on social media which is kind of fun um nice to get that validation and i think the feedback I got from that was really, really positive. And people were like, ah, now I see. And I can mm-hmm. see the light bulb going on in people's heads. Um, so, totally. yeah. Yeah, I think people should check that out. I think you did a really nice job on that. And I, I, I said so on Twitter. And like telling it as a story, I think is such a good hack for people. Where it's just like brains are so wired for stories. And so I, I love that you did that. Yeah, thank you. I think I, I mean, I have this post note on my desk, like, how can I tell more stories that I'm like constantly reminding myself, um, you know, whether I'm posting some small thing on, on Twitter or writing a blog post or crafting new copy on the marketing side. It's like if, if any and all of those can include a story, I think it's just far more compelling than. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that's why like people like podcasts like this one. Yeah. Because you're like following the live story of what's actually happening. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think you're right. Cool. That's a pretty good uh, couple of weeks for you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm feeling overall positive about stuff. Um, you know, still trying to just still l- allow myself to get in the zone on like go away for a few days, build digests, and be calm and serene about <laughs> my work. Even though I know like I'm anxious to get more people into the product trying it, and usage has has waned a little bit as you know this cohort has been in for now a few weeks, and so I'm I'm kind of eager to get another bump in feedback and and all that yeah so totally it it seemed like having a deadline helped you a lot for this particular round yes yes and in that vein so here's a here's an idea we we tossed this around with paul jarvis and i really wish that (laughs) that conversation was captured but i'll go ahead and like summarize it here as well one thing i'm considering doing and i'm pretty pretty set on doing this at this point is i want to basically set a launch deadline for level um, I've known for a while that I want, I think ideally want to launch this in January to take advantage of kind of like the new year, new year, try new tools type of mentality that a lot of people will be in. And I'm eager to get revenue. I think I just need to ship this thing. <laughs> so, so I would like to set, set a goalpost and then manage scope around that as opposed to the other way around. I think I, I definitely know like one of my one of my weaknesses is perfectionism and like trying to over polish things. So if I do this, it's it proved to be a great forcing function for my October deadline. And I think it'll be good for for launch, too. So you're thinking a deadline for like public sign up? I still want to do similar to what we did with Drip, where like we do a rolling launch and I launch in cohorts that will allow me to similar to what I'm doing with early access. I can see if any issues crop up. I can control the amount of like technical scaling I need to do, you know, if it proves after getting a couple hundred people in that like something, some piece of infrastructure is not holding up well, then I can kind of control the flow, I guess. And, um, and just, you know, if there's some major thing that is missing in the product that didn't come up in the prior months, then I want to be able to kind of work that in before, before like using up my entire launch list. But I want to set this deadline for basically beginning the rolling launch and another component that I want to that I want to have is allowing people to basically pre-order level. So put down put down some lump sum of money that will count towards their subscription once they are invited in. And when you pre-order, you get to uh, you get priority in the rolling launch line. So there's an incentive to if you want to get in sooner, there's an incentive to do that. 
and I think I can craft a narrative around like this is this is an important component for me as a as a company of one as a solo creator. You know, I need this feedback on who's actually serious enough about level two to put some money down. So yep, totally. I've actually been over the weekend was working on a landing page for a thing like that for Tuple. Nice, nice. Yep, I think that is something we're gonna do. Yeah, some sort of like early commitment mechanism. Jump the jump the line, reserve a handle, get a little more visibility, kind of thing. Yep, yep. And then apply that towards your your subscription. You know, anyone who has actually put money down is likely a good candidate. I mean, not guaranteed to be a good candidate for early access program, but that's probably the strongest signal you can give me is if you put money down. You know, so I think this will widen also my pool for for potential early access people in the in the months before I actually uh, begin the real launch. So. So I just need to pick I need to pick a date and then try to do like a as little work as possible to get like this credit card form up where people can just do their pre-order. Yeah. So what's your deadline for picking your deadline? <laughs> the deadline for deadlines. I so when we recorded last week, I committed to uh doing it before recording time this week. So and of course listeners have no idea what day it is right now. <laughs> but but I will say this is the week of November twelfth. So this week I'm going to I will pick my deadline and make progress towards that. Sounds good. Yeah. You're going to tweet about it? Uh, I will. Yes. Sounds good. I like getting it out there, saying it publicly. Yep. That helps at least. Cool, man. Well, good update. Yeah. Thanks. What's been going on with you? Oh, nothing. Just hanging out mostly. (laughs) (laughs) Not like building a startup Uh, or anything. No, yeah. I don't have anything going on. I guess that's nothing for me to... Uh, Actually, no. So this was actually a really good week for us. So we had one of our best weeks ever for signups. It was something like 170 people uh, added this week. Just crossed 2,500 people on the launch list, uh, which feels pretty awesome. I was on four podcasts. I recorded four podcasts since the last time we talked. Like I was on Code Newbie. I was on Bits and Trees, Full Stack Radio, and the Ruby Testing Podcast. That was a busy week. So this is a deliberate strategy of yours to be doing the podcast tour right now. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, if you have a podcast and you want me to come on it, <laughs> have some availability in December. <laughs> nice. Podcasts are great return on investment, I think, where it's really only an hour, more or less, and doesn't require a lot of prep. And it just like gets you access to somebody else's audience that's often highly congruent with, with what I'm trying to do. And in a bunch of these, I barely even talked about Tuple, but we still saw like a bump in signups afterwards. It's just like people are curious who this person is, or sometimes I can kind of work it in organically. I, I try not to like shoehorn it. I don't want to like come on someone's podcast and be like, and I have to make sure to plug my thing. I want to like come on and make a good episode that they have in mind where it's like, if you want to talk about integration testing for an hour, I will talk about integration testing. And I'm not going to try to talk about how Tuple helps integration testing or something goofy. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine you know a lot of these hosts already. Have you just reached out and said like, I want to come on your podcast. What do you want to talk about? Or do you have like a, a, a topic in mind that you pitched to them? Or how has that kind of worked? Um, only one of those was was my idea, really. The other three reached out to me. Uh, I knew the hosts at least a little bit for all of these. So it was kind of like I did a favor for someone, uh, like gave some advice. And then I was like, hey, by the way, I'd love to come on your podcast. Um, oh, actually, I was, I was also on Bootstrap Web. Uh, five podcasts. You've been like um, everywhere in my podcast feed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bootstrap Web was also like Brian came on our product and then he was like, hey, thanks. That was a lot of fun. I was like, yeah, can I come on Bootstrap Web? And it was just just like straight up asked for it. And he's like, sure. Yeah. How about this date? So I, I don't have a strategy for like cold outreach or anything yet. I'm going to eventually run out of warm people. So we'll, we'll see what happens when I when I reach that. We get some 
pitches for people to come on the podcast and they're mostly pretty terrible it's usually somebody's like pr person or whatever and they're like somebody would like to come on and talk about this they're like your show's great we think it's great we would love to have whoever on and he could talk about this and it's like you have no you idea what we talk it. about <laughs> yeah. yeah never listened to for sure yeah uh, but i did get one good really good pitch and there's, uh, i wish i could remember the name um i think we did talk about it though where it's like there's a company that helps you get podcast appearances i think it was a microconf type person but the pitch was amazing. It was like clear he did listen to the show a bunch of times and like called out things in specific episodes. And it was just like a really, really good pitch email. And so I would try to do something like that. I'd rather do a couple really good outreaches uh, and not just a bunch of crappy ones. Right. Yep. So we'll see how that turns out. But yeah, it's like, I think, I, I mean, for sure, like those podcasts dropping helped us have such a good week and signups, which is cool. One thing I need to get better at is getting people to post our links with like utm parameters so i can actually get a better sense like right now i'm just like okay full stack radio came out on this day and for the next two days signups were way higher let's assume that basically most of this is attributed to that and i'm just kind of like eyeballing it um it'd be nice to get a little bit more detailed at the same time it kind of doesn't matter right well because you um, can see you could see from the refer right like whose podcast show notes it's coming from sort of (laughs) sort of i don't know that that shows up in the show i guess that yeah i have seen that a little bit um, but I, oh, I guess if they're clicking it from the from like their RSS feed though in their in their podcatcher, then yeah. that would just show up as like a probably no refer or something. I think it's just direct. Yeah, and then also like people are usually like like where can people find out more about this? And I'm like, well, go to tuple.app, and then like that's just direct to. Yeah. So I'm kind of just eyeballing it. I think that's fine. I don't know that it, I need, we need to get fancier than that. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Attribution's tricky for like hearing about it verbally on a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, and as long as the numbers are are good and like the technique seems to be working in the aggregate, I'm less concerned about exactly how many people came out of a particular podcast. But yeah, so the, so marketing was a was a good week, and then right at the end of last week, we had a pretty awesome technical breakthrough. I basically got a text from Spencer and Joel, who had been had been working together for the day. Um, I was off doing a thing. They were like, we just kind of crushed latency or like Joel crushed latency this week. Uh, and they sent me a screenshot and the latency of the product was one fourth what it had been wow. before. Wow. Yeah. Which is pretty great. So it was kind of like we've been doing this like C++ uh, shenanigans uh, <laughs> in the hopes that like, you know, the, the control and the speed would, would show up. And this was like the first like, oh, <laughs> it's starting to pay off. Nice. Did they tell you anything about the the approach? Was it like, are they manipulating bits faster, like pointers and things on in C, or does it have to do with some networking thing they figured out? So, I mean, first caveat, like I have become the non-technical CEO <laughs> real fast. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I don't even understand their conversations anymore. Yeah. Like, I mean, sometimes I do, and like, I, I, I'm aware of some of the big pieces, but I basically am, am out of the technical game. So like, I don't know how they did it. As it should be, probably, you know, like, you don't need to be concerned with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't actually bother me. At first, I was like, this feels a little bit weird. But now it's kind of like, it's it's cool. Like, I I trust them. Uh, and that was like, that was a cool realization for me a couple weeks ago, where I was talking to somebody. And they were like, we we're talking about the technical challenge of it. And they're like, wow, C++, mm, yeah, that's like a lot of things. And like, learning all of the, the WebRTC stack, that's big too. And and I was just like, yeah, but like, I just trust them to be able to do it. I think like they'll eventually we'll just figure it out. I realized that like I meant it. Like Spencer in particular is like really voracious 
and effective in how he learns things. I want him to write this up a little bit because I, I think he has a really good approach for picking up new technology where he like will get a ton of books on the thing and he reads a lot, but he also does a lot of sample projects. So like when we were like, okay, we got to switch from Electron into Swift. None of us have written Swift before. Like the first thing he did was like get a bunch of Swift books, but then like go write Blackjack and and then go write like a really simple, I forget what it was, like JSON parser or something. And it, like he, he writes a lot of small sample apps to like get his head around a thing before starting in to do the real thing. It's really effective. Like he, I've seen him pick up a few new technologies now very quickly. Uh, and it's, it's pretty awesome to see. Yeah. And that's cool because I, I probably not alone in this that I tend to get impatient and like, I want to skip steps and like, I'm just going to skim through this, pick up the techniques I need, and then I'm going to get right into the real thing I need to build. That's probably taking in aggregate more time than if I just built the dang sample project. And I did when I was learning Phoenix, I, I actually did go like went through the Elixir Phoenix book and kind of started building their sample project. And I it seemed to pay off for me. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd love to have him write about that or maybe even come on and talk about it because it's it seems to be working really well. I was already having a great day and marketing had been going really well. And then I get this text and it was like, wow, that's the best number we've seen by a huge amount. The whole weekend was kind of just like, wow, this might work. To me, this whole venture is predicated on the fact that we can do it better than the off the shelf stuff. Like if you can't actually get lower latency than what's out there, we, we don't have a value proposition more or less. That core thing has to be there. This weekend was was sort of that was was really fun for me. Just like imagining, like, okay, I think we can actually deliver on our core thing, and it's just it's feeling it's feeling very exciting right now. That's awesome. Yeah. If you look at a high level, like, what are your key metrics to be tracking? I'm sure that's one of them. Is like is like where are you at on latency, and how does that compare to hundred percent other things? So at one point, a couple of months ago, I asked one of the Screen Hero co-founders, uh, who I'm a little bit friendly with, I was like, hey, what did you guys get down to for for latency, just so I, we have a number to shoot for. And he was like, our goal was this. We're in striking distance of that. Like, we're not there. But it was like, at first, I was like, wow, that's like a lot better than we can do right now. But now for the first time, it's like, hmm, you know, if we keep optimizing this thing, like, this is like, like we're not, we're not way away from that. So it's, I don't know, it's getting kind of exciting. Eventually, like your marketing could be heavily catered towards like the fact that we are the most performant or one of the most performant. 100%. I was looking at um, Paul Jarvis's marketing for Fathom and I'm, I'm trying it out on level just because I want to kind of see how his new product works. And, but it's like heavily catered towards like, you know, we protect your data and we protect your user's privacy. And here's all, here's our, you know, the way we think about it. Here's how we actually do it. You can look at the code, the code's open source. And it's just like, everything is kind of driving towards this. If you care about this, we are the product for you. I love those key differentiators that you can kind of establish and build a moat around your product. And, you know, you can be like, we are the most performant. And who else honestly is really thinking about that? You know, the other big players that are just doing like, screen sharing, video sharing, they're probably not agonizing over this. It's If it's good enough, then they just kind of stick with where it's at, you know? Right. Yep. Totally. I think of like Postmark as like a good example of yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. Where they're like, all they're like, they're like, we get emails into inboxes faster than anybody else. So if you like have an activation email or subscription confirmation or whatever, like you should use us for that. Not for like your big bulk sending, but for like this one, like we just optimize this one thing better than anyone else. And I, I love businesses that do that. And so <laughs> I want us to do that. And they have like live numbers on like their time to inbox. Uh, you oh, know, that's cool. Current. So you could do, you could eventually do like a live latency number for tuple sessions. Dude, 
from the beginning, I have wanted to put on our landing page just a, a bar chart. And it's like us versus two or three other options. And it's just like total latency end to end on like a perfect network. If that is not convincing, then I don't, I'm not sure we have a product. This is the alpha again, because like we, we started over again. So I think there's still like a lot of naive approaches being taken. But like, I, I think we're already kind of smoking some things that are out there. And I think we can go further. That's so cool. Yeah. So and it's 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 early days. So like, <laughs> like, there's still lots to do. Like, I don't want to give like a false impression that like, oh, it's nearly done. Like last time we, I checked in on it, it was like, okay, it's really fast for a while. And then the memory leaks start happening. <laughs> and eventually it slows down and crashes. Yeah. Um, so like, there's still like, it's, there's still a lot going on. Uh, but like the, the glimmer of like, hey, like, we're starting to hit some numbers that are very interesting is, is happening. Yeah. That's good. And it's important to, even despite things left to do in the product and the memory leaks and all that kind of stuff, being able to like still take pleasure in these small wins is just... Yes. Yeah. Oh, for, for sure. Don't for worry. Sure. I've been taking taking quite a bunch. <laughs> good. That's what's up with us. Awesome. Good yeah. update. Thanks. I could tell one other story. Yeah. Let's hear it. I had a really cool gig happen uh, on Friday. This is what I was off doing while Spencer and Joel were working. <laughs> I sing with a, a number of people and a few weeks ago one of the guys i sing with regularly called me and said hey you free on november or whatever uh during the day uh and would you like to sing backup for josh groban <laughs> <laughs> and i was like yes and you're like you must what? be trolling me <laughs> yeah i was like what kind of question is that and so like josh groban when he travels hires local musicians uh, it just blows sing. my mind <laughs> yeah it blows my mind too it's like he has like a band that he plays with but then he hires an orchestra and uh, a backup choir to sing on stage with him so that he doesn't have to bring like 60 people on the road all the time. I mean, he has like multiple levels. He's, he's not doing it. His organization does this. Um, but this is the thing that happens pretty regularly at every tour stop. I was just like, uh, yes. And because this guy vouched for me, I didn't even audition or anything. And it was just like, all right, cool. You're in. Here are the details. And suddenly, like, I was on the list to sing backup for Josh Groban. That is insane. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. <laughs> and I was like, this is not, is this real life? Is this, this is all, this is how it happens? Just like, you just know somebody and they get you in and then, then you're in? Yeah. And it turns out, yes, that is how it happens. <laughs> so, like, I sang in the, the TD Garden, which is where the Celtics play. Uh, and it's like a 18,000-seat arena on a huge stage with an orchestra and a band and uh, Josh freaking Groban out on stage. Wow. Did you get to meet Josh? I did, yeah. Um, so he came by the choir room. We had like our own dressing room and he came by and like chatted for a little while and uh, took a picture with us and like couldn't have been nicer. It was like perfect example of like, wow, he's just like a normal person. Like seems super down to earth. It's really friendly. Actually also very personable. Like just told some stories and made some jokes and it was just like seemed like like a great guy. And so like singing on stage was was kind of a blast. But so so one thing that I did that I, I wanted to, to bring up is when I got this gig, I was like kind of in a state of shock where I was just like, this is like, this is the big time. I can't believe I'm doing this. This is like blowing my mind. And the organizer emailed out and said, hey, like the choir sings on four songs uh, for one of the songs. And the choir is like 20 people. And like for one of the songs, they only want an octet. Uh, and you'll probably be individually mic'd as opposed to in like a group. Uh, and so if you feel really confident uh, and are comfortable, you know, being by yourself-ish, let me know if you want to volunteer for the octet. And my first reaction was like, no way. 
Like I just this thing is already like such a huge leap over the biggest gig I've ever done that like that's plenty. I'm just going to be happy singing in the choir and not like try for like kind of a reach thing like that. And then I was like or I could just like lean into this craziness and just do the thing that seems uncomfortably ridiculous. Uh, and I just like responded and was like, yeah, sure, I'm in. I'll do that. And then I got it. And so I sang in an octet. I feel like there's been a bunch of things, a number of times in my life where things that have felt too ambitious or too big or too scary have like come along and I'll just do them anyway sometimes. And when I do, it has worked out so well for me. Those have been like some some milestone moments in my life. I want to just kind of keep cultivating this habit where it's like, don't take, I don't want to take myself out of the running for a thing. I want to find out that it was too ambitious. Like I want to volunteer for the octet and then bomb rather than be like, no, 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 the, that's, that's too crazy to, to do the octet. That's such a healthy way to approach pretty much anything in life and business. And that's kind of what we've both done with, with our startups taking a leap. I mean, this is totally unconventional to, I mean, imagine like a few generations back in our, you know, people would be like, you're doing what? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. You know, you could be perfectly employed at a large company and you're doing what? This podcast, for example, like this very similar story where my initial, my initial response was like, nope, not doing that. But I've basically never regretted ever getting out of my comfort zone and saying yes. I'm partly telling this story for myself because I want to internalize that lesson. And, and like, by the way, the octet was no big deal. It was not a big leap over the other stuff I was doing. It was fine. It went great. Uh, but it was just like, it was just that much cooler to like be able to just like take that on and say yes to it. And so I just want to remember like sometimes like my initial response to that is like, whoa, no, like, I mean, like maybe next time, like maybe if it happens in a year again and I sing back up for again, I'll maybe volunteer for the small group or something. And it's like, yeah, or you could just do it now. And it's just like, I, I want to just remember this, this moment. Yes. Yeah. That's a great lesson. Yeah. Thanks. So yeah, I don't know how I'm going to top that gig. Um, I know. <laughs> singing is just going to seem a little different now. <laughs> yeah, how, do you know how big the, the crowd was? I don't actually know. Like I said, it's 18,000 seats. Um, I don't think they, they had it full, but... Uh, Enough. <laughs> thousands of... Many thousands. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Well, great story like to end it off with. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, no big deal. I guess that's it for me. All right. Well, jeez. I won't try to top that, and we will wrap the show. <laughs> I guess we should just wrap it here. <laughs> yeah. Show notes? Show notes are at artofproductpodcast.com. Awesome. Good talking to you. You too, man. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye.